Welcome back to Clarity. This is our one-year journey as a church where it's our hope to just see Jesus clearer in the 2020 year. I am Garland. And I'm Nick. And what we're going to do today is is we, we've just studied the, the passage of Scripture that we refer to as the Transfiguration. Uh, this, Ooh, I like how this, you said that. Yeah, this great, amazing day where Jesus, and it's kind of bizarre, Jesus takes a couple, a few of his disciples up to some mountaintop, and they go up there, and out of nowhere, Jesus turns really shiny, and some dead dudes, I guess, show up. And the, the, you just referred to Moses and Elijah as <laughs> well, some dead dudes. This is how you would read it. And so here's here comes some dead guys. Elijah didn't die. Well, I guess you're right. Here comes some dead guys. Do you want to do over? And uh, I'm good with this. Okay. Uh, now you've got the disciples' reactions bizarre. They uh, they want to build little temples or tents or something. Yeah. And Jesus is still shining. God says something, and then they all disappear. And it's just Jesus standing there, and he says, but don't say anything <laughs> about any of this. It's just a strange story. So. That was an amazing retelling of that story. <laughs> like that, that, that's how, I think when you just read it, you're like, what's going on here? Yet we're supposed to make something cool out of this, I'm guessing. So what we're going to do on this particular podcast here on Clarity is try to talk about what's going on in the Transfiguration story, particularly centered on the, the shining glory. So what do we do with it? Okay, so yeah, I, I think the, the most helpful thing, there's a lot going on, but I think the most helpful thing would be to try to understand the concept of glory. Uh, we we say the word glory of God a lot. It's in our songs. It's in our worship. We talk about God being glorified, him being glorious. We talk about him being glorified in our lives. Um, but when you ask people, what does glory mean? It's actually a pretty hard word to define. Um, we have this general sense. So I think if we define what the word glory means, and then how it gets used throughout Scripture, I think that'll get us a little bit of clarity on what was so significant about this moment for Jesus. Okay. So the word glory, it comes from this Hebrew word kaved or the noun kavod. Kaved. Yeah. Okay. So it's a fun word to say. And, and what it means, it, when we talk about word meanings, um, they, they always have a lot of a wide range of meanings and can be used in a lot of different contexts. But at its core, the word kavod, it means something like heavy or weighty. Okay. It has to do with something having substance to it. Now think about how we use the word um, substance or weight metaphorically in English, and you're going to get close to the same idea. Uh, You can talk about an actual weight, like 100 pounds, but then when you talk about an argument being substantial, having substance, what, what do we mean by that? It's, it's uh, important and it's significant. Yes. And, okay. Compelling. Yeah. And so, or- and so um, a person could have substance. Uh, typically, when we think about this, talk about a person having substance, we mean something like they have character or they have a depth to their thought. Um, so when you think about something being light or shallow or flighty versus something being substantial and weighty. That's kind of the image you're getting from Kavod. It's the idea that, that this thing is, is real, and it's, it has gravity, and it's important. And so that's, that's where the idea of glory comes from. It's that, it's that sense of something that it matters, 
it is significant. And even, you know, they didn't understand gravity as we do now, but even it would translate well to think about the biggest thing in our solar system, the sun, is also the thing that everything revolves around. Right. And so that's a similar concept of Kavod. Like when something is really big, um, you know, if you, if you see a mountain, your eyes are drawn to it. It's, it's the big thing on the horizon. So when we talk about the glory of God, what we're talking about is his weightiness, his bigness, uh, the sense that, that he is the center of life and everything is drawn to him. So it's, uh, maybe an easy point of comparison would be something like if you were to be like I'm a, I like sports. So like if I was going to, if I was to be somewhere and one of my favorite like sports stars, like if LeBron walks in, yes. like he's going to, I'm at a coffee shop or a restaurant or somewhere and LeBron James walks in, he's going to be the center of the room. Yes. He's going to take the weight of the room. And we would say the same thing about, you know, like the a leader of a nation or a king in the ancient culture. There's a weight to their presence when they walk into the room. Every head turns, you know that they're there. Is that a helpful analogy? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's exactly what's going on. And that actually transcends to transitions to another sense of glory. So glory can mean what someone actually is. They are glorious. They are substantial. Weighty. Glory can also refer to how people see them. So when someone is glorified or when they gain glory, that means people recognize that they're important. And so when we talk about God gaining glory or God being glorified, it's not as if God got more substantial. Right. It's not as if we go, man, uh, we, you could measure God's glory and he was at a 98 but after our worship service, he, he went up a notch. He's a 99 now. I think sometimes we think of worship <laughs> that way. <laughs> yeah, that's, so, that's kind of dangerous. I mean. it, it's, it's not what's going on. So when we talk about God being glorified or gaining glory, it's not that he gets more valuable, more important. It's that his value is more recognized. People see it. They acknowledge it. Okay. So that really becomes the goal of worship. God is, in fact, glorious. And so we recognize his glory. We, we turn towards we, that. Yeah, yeah, we turn toward it. We see it. We acknowledge, yeah, he really is the biggest deal there is. And so this idea of God's glory really starts becoming prominent in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. Right. And so they're under Israel is under Egyptian rule. They're in slavery. And Pharaoh's the big deal. And, and the Egyptian gods are the ones that get all the recognition in Egypt. And so God says, I'm going to gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That's Exodus 14.4. So the concept there, it, notice the gaining glory is connected to the Egyptians knowing that God's the Lord. Right. And so the idea is that the people will see and recognize what a big deal God is. So... You have all these miracles of the ten plagues, and then um, Israel leaves Egypt, and then we start getting this idea. I mean, when you're talking about the God of the universe, the creator, um, and finite human people, how are they to understand the idea of God's glory, which is a really abstract concept? And so what God starts doing is he starts revealing himself to them in a physical way. 
And so maybe the first example of this, even though the word glory isn't attached to it, is when God shows up to Moses in a burning bush. Okay. And so then when he leads them out of Egypt, you have the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And this kind of visual, like, we see something about God there. No, God doesn't say that he is fire, as if we now understand what God is. Oh, I get it. God's a fire. That's that's what God is. It's not that. That's the way pagans thought, um, was to say, this object is God. Rather, God is revealing something about himself through these physical manifestations. Okay. So that when he brings Israel into the temple, or I'm sorry, into the desert at Mount Sinai, and he, he teaches them about how to worship him, how to know him, he tells them to set up a tent called the tabernacle, and that they are going to come to that tent to worship him. And uh, so they they uh, they come to, to Sinai, and they come to meet with the Lord their God, and in Exodus 24, um, verses 15 to 17, we get a description of what happens on that mountain. Would you read Exodus 24, 15 to 17? Sure. Here it is. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so here we have in Exodus, as, as they are at Mount Sinai to receive God's law, the idea of God's glory, his substance, his weight, is connected with this big cloud that settled on the mountain, this visible manifestation of how important God is, a consuming fire, a cloud. It's kind of cool. Yeah, really cool. So then um, we that God tells them about his law. He tells them about the, the tabernacle, and they are to build the tabernacle. And in Exodus 40, we get the description of that tent, the tent of meeting that we call the tabernacle. So, Garland, would you read Exodus 40, 34 to 35? Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Okay, so again, this idea of God's glory is attached to this cloud that would show up at the tent. It's not saying that God is a cloud, okay? It's saying that this cloud somehow represents the presence of God, his importance at the center of this tent of meeting, at the center of the nation. So um, this becomes the, the picture of God's presence among his people. And that's what's really important is the glory significance of the Lord is with the people, it's right in the middle. So they take this tent with them into the promised land. And, uh, and then fast forward a few hundred years, and Israel builds a temple. Israel builds a permanent building to be in the middle of Jerusalem where they're going to meet with their God. And Solomon is the king who builds this temple. And we read about it in Second Chronicles chapter 7. And in Second Chronicles 7, uh, Solomon has just prayed a prayer to God, kind of dedicating this building to God, to his worship. And would you read Second Chronicles 7, 1 to 3? 
I think I'm seeing a pattern here. Here yes, it is again. Indeed. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And here we go again. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good. His love endures forever. Okay, so here we see it again. This is a sign that God is blessing Israel, that he's choosing to be with Israel, and that he's going to be the center of their life as he visually shows himself coming and resting in the temple. Now, over Israel's history, they are not faithful to God. Uh, They abandon him, they worship idols, and eventually that leads to their discipline through what we call the exile. Um, as Babylon comes in and destroys the temple and, and takes Israel away. But in the book of Ezekiel, uh, we're told of a, a tragic moment in Israel's history. This is leading up to the exile, and we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 10. Um, and in, a chapter, in chapter 10, uh, Ezekiel's given a vision of what's happening in the temple. Uh, so would you read Ezekiel 10? Uh, verses one through uh, let's let's go through one uh, four to start. So just just we've seen God God's presence, the weight of God's presence, the weight of His kingly presence is significant and important, and He keeps manifesting that in their midst. Here I am with you in your midst, and when you see the kaved of God, you know that I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, okay. And so as that as that's our backdrop, we get to, you want me to read through verse 5, chapter 10? Ezekiel yeah. 10, 1 to 5. Ezekiel's vision, he says, I looked and I saw the likeness of a throne of lapis lazuli above the vault that was over the heads of the cherubim. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And as I watched, he went in. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple, and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. The sound of the wings of the cherubim could be heard as far away as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. Okay, so... (laughs) What is happening here? (laughs) Ezekiel writes with a whole lot of imagery, and and we don't have time here to go through and pack all that imagery of the burning coal and the cherubim, which is a word for kind of angel. But what's significant is in this vision, the this cloud that represents the glory had been in an inner room of the temple called the Holy of Holies. Okay. And we see the cloud move. That can't be good. Can't be good. Um, And so the cloud moves from the inner part of the temple out into the outer courts and it fills. Now it's still the glory of the Lord. This is key. The glory of the Lord never diminishes. The glory doesn't get less. It moves. It moves into the, uh, to the outer court of the temple. Now, Look further down and read verses 18 and 19 of chapter 10. I'm assuming it's about to get worse. It's about to get worse. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and arose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, which I guess is the temple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the glory of the God of Israel was above them there. Okay, so in dramatic fashion, Ezekiel's following this cloud as it moves from the Holy of Holies 
to the outer court, and now it's gone to the doorway. And so in high drama, the, the cloud stops at the doorway of the temple. Okay, And so then we continue down in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23. Okay, The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain. So now it's outside the city. It's, it's a mountain the east of it. Yep. Okay, So what happens here is the glory of God has now left the temple. It's left the city of Jerusalem, and it's not gone to the mountain east of Jerusalem, uh, what we call the Mount of Olives. And so the glory, and this is important, the glory of God has left Jerusalem. That glory that settled on the temple when Solomon prayed and dedicated the temple has now abandoned Israel. God's presence has left the nation. And what's going to follow that is the destruction of the temple. Now, this is a tragic moment where because of um, Israel's sin, God is not dwelling among them like he had. So when we read the rest of the story, what happens is Jerusalem gets destroyed, the temple's burned to the ground, they're taken into exile into Babylon, and then years later they're brought back and they build a new temple. And similarly, just like in Solomon's day, they build this temple, they all gather for a dedication, and they pray to dedicate this temple. And there's, if we compare the two accounts, something very significant is missing from the prayer of dedication. I'm no, guessing no glory. No glory. No cloud. It says that some people celebrated, but the older people wept. Maybe it's because the building wasn't as impressive, but I think at least part of it is the glory of the Lord. I have to imagine they are, they know their story. They've read the story of Israel. I have to imagine as they finish this temple and as they say the prayer, they're waiting for the cloud. Right. And it never comes. So in an important sense, even though Israel came back from exile, I don't think it's too dramatic to say God didn't come with them. Now, God was always with them, mm -hmm. okay? But in their looking for the visual, visible glory of God in the temple, they never got that. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the Old Testament period, we are still waiting for the shining glory of God to appear among Israel. We've waited 400 years. Nothing's happened. And that brings us up to this story that you read a few moments ago. When Jesus goes up to pray... And he starts shining with that visible glory of the Lord. The message is, what's really surprising is when the glory returned, it did not settle on the temple. It settled on a person. It settled on a person, Jesus. So now the place where God dwells among his people is not a building on a mountain in Jerusalem. It's on a person. Jesus is now the glory of God in the midst of his people. And that is the significance here that the story is reorienting itself around the person of Jesus. He is the new temple rather than this building. So in we go to, for the presence and the weight of God, we go to Jesus. And so a couple of, couple of interesting notes. When you look at an, another prophetic book that was given to the people of Israel in exile, the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel speaks of the kingdoms of the earth and their coming to 
to rule and reign over God's people, Israel. And every one of the visions of these kingdoms is interrupted with this picture of a heavenly kingdom. And in Daniel 7, we get this interesting note of this, this figure who will come. And it says in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's vision, he says, As I looked, after all these earthly kingdoms, he looks, and thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, so God, took a seat. And here coming before the throne is, is one who comes up with clothing as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. We're getting this picture of the heavenly throne room, and it says, one like a son of man approaches this heavenly throne room, and he is given the dominion and the glory and the honor of the Ancient of Days. And so Jesus is this figure of this son of man going up to the temp, uh, to the throne room of God, the glory of God. And am I to make anything, just help me with this one, am I to make anything of why maybe then flaming fire tongues fall in Acts chapter 2? Is that the glory now being in the new temple like us? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a wonderful connection to make. Um Jesus is the new temple and that the glory settles on him. And then the church, which in Ephesians, the church is described as being built up, not of stones, but of people. And so that, that flaming tongues of fire glory settles on the people so that the Holy Spirit, God's presence is now described in two terms. One, centered on Jesus, but then present in people by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So the spirit in us is the glory the, in the presence of God that brings a whole new weight to like all of the Bible's like discussion about the way I live and the way I speak and the way I talk or act and the decisions I make. Like, there's a weight to that because there's supposed to be like glory is in me. That's profound. And in the same way that they would, we would use the term sanctify or make pure the temple, the building for the presence of God. That's what it means for us to be sanctified. That we are made pure. We are made holy. We are made to be an appropriate place for the Spirit of God to dwell. Well, that's that's really beautiful, and it brings a lot of, uh, of clarity to this picture of Jesus being transfigured. It actually kind of helps it to make sense. And, uh, I mean, that's just really, really captivating and compelling. So uh, we hope that this has brought a little bit of clarity to this, this little picture, and thank you for listening to the Clarity Podcast.